We're back. I'm Drew McGarry. And I'm David Roth. And uh, coming in September 2020, a new site we have built together called... Defector. Defector, and we're going to have a new podcast to go with it. This very podcast, which has the name... The Distraction. It's out right now, and it's available everywhere else you get your podcast. At Stitcher, Spotify, Apple. Go listen right now to The Distraction everywhere. It's out right now. Go listen. See ya. Bye. Raising three black men in this world today is the scariest thing about being a mother. As a black man in America, especially a black man that likes to smile a lot, some days it is tough to be outside and just be happy. Deadass. Deadass. Hey, I'm Kadeen. And I'm DeVal. And we're the Ellis's. You may know us from posting funny videos with our boys. And reading each other publicly as a form of therapy. Wait, I make you need therapy? Most days. Wow. <laughs> oh, and one more important thing to mention, we're married. Yes, sir, we mm-hmm. are. We created this podcast to open dialogue about some of life's most taboo topics. Things most folks don't want to talk about. Through the lens of a millennial married couple. Deadass is a term that we say every day. When we say deadass, we're actually saying facts. 100. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. <laughs> we about to take pillow talk to a whole new level. Deadass starts now. This topic is very heavy for us. Yes, heavy load today. I'm with Jackson in the park, and this white woman next to us. She's there with with her kids, and I'm there with Jackson. And you know, she says, "Oh, I, I see it's it's your day," and I'm like, <laughs> "What?" Like I see, you know, you know, you you and your son out, you know, it must be your day, you know, your weekend. <laughs> and I was just like, nah, like I did this yesterday because I'm married <laughs> and I do this every day. This fatherhood thing, this is something I do every day. Like contrary to what you may believe, I'm a father every day. The and then just Cassidy. walked away. Didn't like didn't acknowledge the fact that that was like really that's a, that's a tough thing to say to somebody. When I walk with my boys anywhere, if people don't know us via social media, the comments and things they say are often very similar to that. You know, you can't assume that people know that you're married, but they'll say slick stuff like that. Oh, it's daddy's weekend. Must be daddy's weekend. Or, you know, I like or taking Jackson to the movie theater. You know, take, no, matter of fact, this was the other day. I'm taking Jackson to Linden uh, movie theater. And the young lady behind there said, and I don't think she was being aggressive, but she said, yeah, when it was my dad's day, he used to take me out of school and take me to the movie theaters, too. Mm. And it's like, damn, like, like yo, that's the narrative. I, like, I'm, a, I'm a black man. I can't just have spend time with my son without people thinking that, oh, I'm just doing this to compensate for something else. Or maybe I'm right. not around. Right. Right. Those, those are the hardest things for me to deal with. Y'all had me a little gassed up with the last karaoke session. Nah, she she could <laughs> it sing. actually wasn't karaoke. Was it was actually the, the very singing. top of the show last time. And they clipped that little bite where I hit that note at the end. Jasmine Sullivan song. I mean, I will not profess to be any singer, but... Uh, you was all right, though. You sounded all right. Did I? That yes. was a one-shot deal. So don't expect any more of that from me, guys. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there for future karaoke's because the pressure is on. Now she's nervous. Um, but no, I think today, because our topic is, is super serious, mm-hmm. um, a song came to mind from um, the legend Bob Marley. Bob Marley spoke a lot about human rights or lack thereof, and he was an advocate for that. Oh, Lord. Snap, 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 snap. Hit it. Until the philosophy, which holds one race superior to another, inferior, is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned, 
everywhere is war. Misewar. That until there's no longer first-class and second-class citizens of any nation under the color of a man's skin, until the color of a man's skin is no longer significant or more significant than the color of his eyes, misewar. That until the basic human rights are equally guaranteed to all without regard to race, this is a war. I think the whole song is super, super deep and it's crazy. And, you know, once you put a beat on the back of it, you know, it's pretty dope. But but it's poetry. He's it's a poet. poetry. He's a poet. He and spoke about things that mattered. Um, you know, so shout out to Bob and um, that song. And I think it's a great segue because it talks about what we're talking about today. It talks about human rights or lack thereof. What's and the being war taken from us on human rights and the war on human rights, the war on women the war on our black and brown men and women. Um, so this was perfect and fitting, I think. Yes. Ugh. I know it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult. I, I think about my boys. I wake up in the morning, I look at them, and this is the hardest part for me. I look at them some days and I'm just like, man, from 15 to 19, I really have to arm you with the tools to survive just being yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think about that right. all the time. Well, I think that's a lesson you learn with situations like this that you've been in, that now, since you've experienced that, it's how do we equip our boys? Think about the hundreds of you know young men who are in your mentorship program and in your speed and performance enhancement training program, where it's not just about learning how to run or how to jump right. or how to get that college scholarship. It's about how to survive in these yeah. streets. It's about knowing the code to which you have to address authority, things like that. I mean, is what makes this topic so heavy today. And we feel like it's so necessary. And, you know, people know us for laughing and joking and right. smiling on the gram and having funny videos. But we feel like we would be remiss when doing this podcast if we did not touch on and speak to topics that are currently affecting us on a day to day basis. Yeah, the truth, the truth to millennial parenting. Like, the, the, that's the, exactly the truth to what millennial it is. parenting right now is this. Mm-hmm. You look at the current climate and how racism has become accepted now, because you're allowed to say whatever you want, and it's like, hey, this is the way I feel. Right. So now you see how people are approaching us. And it was very similar. I remember when uh, Barack Obama in 2008 first became president, and they said, we're going to have a race war. Mm-hmm. And you saw a lot of bigots come out mm-hmm. because they felt like they had to defend their whiteness because right. we had a black president. Right. And now we have Donald Trump as president, and it's now the bigots are out again, mm-hmm. and they have to once again defend their whiteness. And in defending their whiteness, they have to— you know, show you that you're still just black right. in America. And it's hard for me sometimes because all you really want to do in life is just, just enjoy your life, have fun, and mm-hmm. build your family. And exist in your space. And it's difficult. And be free to do that. Right. And it's difficult because you're seeing rights being taken away. Mm-hmm. You know, you're watching boys still being murdered in the streets with no repercussion. Mm-hmm. You're watching women being murdered, no repercussions. Mm-hmm. And it's like... When you when it's just you, you like I could take care of myself. Right. It's me and my wife. We adults. We can take care of ourselves. But when you send your children out into the street, right? You're saying now like, oh man, I just, oh, please, like that that conversation yes. that we I have to have with the boys now. Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes we're, we're regressing because I remember my my grandma. Uh, shout out to Della from uh, South mm-hmm. Carolina, Orangeburg, South Carolina. I asked her at one point, why were you so hard on us growing up? Mm-hmm. And she said to me, you know, growing up, when I was growing up, if you were a young black boy and you stepped out of line, you, your life could be taken and no one would care. Wow. 
So for her, it was, I have to keep you in line first at home so you know how to behave outside. Wow. And the only way she knew how to do that was with force. Mm. So we used to get spankings. Mm-hmm. But we were all in check. Me, and my, my brother, my cousin right. Devon. And so that was done out of fear and out of yes, love. Yes, it was done out of fear and love. Right. She never wanted anything to happen to us. So it was like if I teach them how to be polite, dress properly, right. walk a certain way, talk a certain way, right. it would limit the opportunities for something bad to happen to them. Absolutely. And I felt like when I was young, I was like, oh, well, things have changed, so it's not that bad. You know, it's not the 60s anymore. They're not lynching people in the streets anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and getting the, and then you look at the past couple of years and you see how many unarmed black men were murdered, which are almost like modern day lynchings because they're murdered and there's no repercussions, period. Right. People get to walk away scot-free. So what's the message we're sending people who are murdering black boys and black girls? Oh, you can do that because nothing's going to happen. Right. So exactly. now— when my, when our boys are walking in the street and the old solution we used to be, well, take them out of the hood, move them to a better neighborhood and they can avoid those things. Hell no. Because <laughs> now you see the stories of the young black kids who were in the white neighborhood and the cops came to the swim party and they all got hemmed exactly. up, knees in the back of their neck. And it's like now I'm worried if I move my children to a predominantly white neighborhood or an affluent neighborhood, they have to be the only the blacks. Targets. And then they're the targets. So you can't avoid it. Whether you stay in your community or whether you move to their community, it's almost like you can't avoid it. Mm-hmm. So you have to arm them with a different a different type of level of understanding that you're black, bro. And that's that heavy. No, nope, you're That's heavy for me as it's a father. It's heavy as a father. It's heavy as a mother. I think it's just heavy for anybody who loves on these black and brown men that we have uh, walking out in these streets, really just trying to exist in this space that is America today. And before we get into our guests, just a little background about why we're even talking about this today. According to Vox, four states have passed heartbeat bills this year alone, banning abortion as early as six weeks into pregnancy. Alabama just passed a near total ban on abortion abortion at any stage of pregnancy with no exception for rape or incest. Missouri moved a step closer to passing a ban on abortion at eight weeks gestation, also without exceptions for rape or incest. The bill passed the state Senate and now returned to the House for approval. I was down in D.C. at the Mom Friends with over 500 black and brown mamas. We talked about everything from rearing our children to self-care. And I feel like it was so very necessary to even touch on in my keynote speech. I feel like I would have been remiss if I didn't speak about women in general and how we're under attack in this country and talk about the the really inhumane and antiquated stance that's been taken um, with the current recent events uh, that cripple women's rights. Um, And just so happens that Jamila Lemieux was down with me in D.C. and and we were in passing. We didn't get to really chat and talk, but I thought she'd be an amazing person to have on today to speak about uh, the change in abortion rights and women's rights. So, Jamila, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing well. I'm doing well. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today, Deval and I. um, We just felt like this was a current event topic that we had to touch on a little bit, especially after the weekend we just had in D.C. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, what's up, Jamila? Thank you so much for joining us. We're we're truly grateful for your voice. Uh, I've been following you on Twitter, 
Yes. And on Instagram and seeing all the work you've been doing, and it's it's amazing. Thank yeah. you so much. Also, being a mom yourself and a, having a beautiful daughter, so I appreciate you just stepping out here and, and being a voice for millennials. And for those of you who don't know, Jamila is an award-winning writer, communication strategist, who's rumored to be a leading millennial voice around issues of race, gender, and sexuality. So it was only fitting to have you on here today, Jamila. Um, and I just wanted to talk to you really quick about uh, one of your recent and most polarizing, I would say, Twitter threads that read. Um, I feel regret and disappointment for not keeping the Gucci shades I put on layaway at TJ Maxx in 2002. I don't feel (laughs) anything about not having a child I wasn't ready for or interested in having. And it breaks my heart watching women share these stories from their youth or brokest days or of pregnancies they wanted but couldn't keep, re-traumatizing themselves in hopes of reaching people who refuse to honor our humanity. But for some goof to say, no one wants an abortion implies that it's okay to criminalize those of us who did. No. Wow. Wow. That wow. was a whole, whole read. So you need to tell us, Jamila, <laughs> where did that come from? What what sparked this, 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 uh, this thread from you? You know, so we're in this moment where there are these very restrictive um, abortion laws that are being passed. Uh, particularly in southern states, but there are other states across the country that are looking to pass similar legislation that is going to make it damn near impossible for women in these places to obtain a a legal and safe abortion. And I'm careful not to say obtain an abortion because, you know, we can very easily return to the days in which women have to participate in an underground network, you know, where they have to go to someone who doesn't have perhaps the training or, you know, the standards of cleanliness. And understanding of, you know, the science of abortion uh, necessary to perform this, you know, medical procedure in order to obtain one. You know, you're not going to make the desire for abortions go away if you restrict women's access to having it. You're just going to find another way to do it. Right. Right. And so, you know, as a result, um, you know, a lot of folks have come forward and shared, you know, as has been the case every few years when this legislation is on the table. Women are coming forward, you know, via social media, via blogs, newspapers, and magazines to tell their abortion stories. Mm-hmm. And so often, you know, the abortion stories that are told publicly kind of fit the same, you know, profile. It's either I was too young for a baby. Right. I was too broke for a baby. Uh You know, maybe we had children and couldn't afford another one. Um, There was some sort of medical crisis, so either the child was not going to survive or the mother's life was at risk. Mm -hmm. You know, but there was some, you know, serious reason as to why. There's also rape and incest, which are one of the two that you would think an right. abortion could be a thing that's and, very necessary for and quickly have, have you been open about your your story or is this something you choose not to tell you you just tell that you have one but you don't really tell the story so i tell the story you know i had an abortion when i was this was maybe it was 2015 mm-hmm. I, w- I was already a mother a, a single co-parenting mother in a very happy healthy peaceful co-parenting relationship mm-hmm. financially i was doing you know pretty okay mm-hmm. we Money, I'll just say the money was not a factor. So it was a personal that, preference just for you. You just yeah, didn't we want were, to do it. We were not loved. You know, I, I think that if I kept the pregnancy, maybe we would have tried, you know, right. to, to be in a romantic relationship. But I don't think that's the reason to try to, to make something like that happen or, or okay. work. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, if that's not what you want. You know, if, there, if the pregnancy wasn't on the table, I would have never considered that. Right. So, 
we would be creating a family, you know, because we got pregnant. We'd use a plan B. You know, it wasn't that there was complete caution thrown to the wind, but, you know, a mistake was made. Plan B right. didn't work. Wow. And so I, I didn't want the baby. And, and I knew that the child would be fine. And we'd give them a good life, you mm-hmm. know, whether we were together or not, that, that the kid would have a very good life. But I was like, look, I got, I want to write a book. I got this, you know, all these yeah, things I want to do professionally. Right. And, yeah, and, and I, just, also I did not, not want another baby at that moment. Right, and not not to cut you off, but I think that's also a, a misconception that people often take when it comes down to pregnancies is that you should have taken the proper precautions before you got pregnant. You should have used contraceptive, then you could have used a plan B. Here, you you did. You used a plan B and it didn't work. Right. So you still had to make a tough decision. And right. I think it's hard for men, and I'm speaking for men because, you know, realistically it's difficult for a man to ever feel comfortable telling a woman what to do with her body. But it's often right. difficult for us to understand what you guys go through through pregnancy. I didn't really truly understand until I watched my wife go through pregnancy mm-hmm. of how it yep. changes your entire the entire trajectory of your life. Everything. So I think these yep. stories are important for, right. for not only women to be able to share, but for men to hear. Right. Because unless you've gone through a, a pregnancy with a woman or your wife, you don't know what women go through. So I think it's, it is important. And I, I, I applaud you for sharing mm-hmm. because men need to hear this, especially if there's going to be men making decisions which to me is just ridiculous. Right. I think that's the, that's the hardest pill to swallow with this whole thing is that we have a whole team of men who are making decisions over women's bodies when they, I mean, regardless if you're pro-choice, that's pro-life, you're pro-women, like you can't walk a mile in our shoes when it comes to our pregnancies, our bodies. And no. yeah, I would never, I would never want to be pregnant or have a baby. I'm speaking yeah. from a man like, I, I, for me, it's easy to see why a woman would say, I'm not ready to have a, a child. I'm not ready to go through pregnancy, especially if you're in a career phase. Right. I get it. Right. I get it. I watched you go through it three times and to hear your story, you were, you know, you were going towards a bigger part of your career. So I understand and I applaud you. That's, I really appreciate you sharing that. So, Absolutely. But I, but I do have a question though. What do you say, because part of, of your quote, you said that people are, are kind of discrediting your right to your humanity. What do you say to those people who say, well, what about, what is humane about getting rid of a child? So to me, I, I respect and affirm people's various religious beliefs. I think that, you know, in a country where we have a separation between church and state, we can't say, you know, that life begins at birth because that's not medically true, right? right? That, that's just simply not something that's, um, you know, that, that can't be argued. It can be debated. Right. And again, knowing that there needs to be access to safe and legal abortion because there are times where the mother's life is in crisis or when the child's life, you know, is, is not going to serve, the child won't survive. So you have to go through a pregnancy knowing that this child is not viable, you know, and you're getting bigger and you're, your body's going through all the physical changes of pregnancy, mm-hmm. knowing that this baby can't live outside of your body, right? When you sort of saved yourself that trauma, you know, and, and terminated earlier, or, you know, in a position where you, you could die, mm-hmm. right? Right. Like it, right. No, absolutely. So there's a, there's this need for that. And I think that people who feel otherwise from a moral or ethical standpoint have a choice, right? Which is to not have an abortion, which is to not partner with a woman who'd be willing to have an abortion under any circumstances. Right. That's an agreement between Two people, you know, and I think that that's what's important. If we are only partnering with people that, you know, where we can say, hey, this is where I feel and this is how I stand. And that's not to say that things can't change because a woman can be like, look, we got four kids. And, you know, I thought I'd never be willing to terminate, but I just can't do this to my body again. 
Yeah. No, I totally understand that, Jamila. What's one thing that you want young women, especially within our community, because that's the platform that you have, to take away from the conversation around these abortion laws? Um, you know, what's, what's something that you think is the most important thing? Because I also read an article recently um, from the Associated Press that talked about the nation's birth rates last year reaching record lows for women in their teens and 20s, which tends to be the age when most women do have abortions. Um, and that's like, I think the fewest babies have been born in the past 32 years. So so what's your takeaway from women who, because, you know, this is a choice. And the biggest thing here is the, the it's not even if you're pro-life or pro-choice. It's the, the fact that the choice is being taken away from the woman over right. her body to be able to, to govern over her body. Um, so what do you say to young women in the community about this? What would be the biggest takeaway? You know, I really want all young women, black, you know, young black women in particular, to one, be politically engaged and aware to vote, but also, you know, black women's maternal health outcomes. And this is the thing I, I think you mentioned in your keynote, but this is, did, and this yes. is certainly a theme throughout the conference, yes. are so devastating that Absolutely. the United States yeah. remains on, we, the United States remains the top of the list of countries with, uh, you know, Top ten countries in terms of maternal, maternal and infant mortality, maternal yeah. mortality and infant mortality. Yes, yes. And it's only, and it, and it, we have to recognize that it's only because of Black women. It's not because of, of the deaths of white women or uh, non-Black Latino women. Yes. And that those groups, you know, white women in particular, even though they're having issues with fertility and birth rates, and Black women are having infertility issues that aren't being talked about. Let's be clear. Mm-hmm. But that their, you know, but their maternal mortality outcomes have improved. Ours have not, and it's not just a matter of youth or poverty. Because for years they said, well, why is maternal mortality and infant mortality rates so high for Black women? And they said, oh, it's because of teen pregnancy and poverty. Well, teen pregnancy rates have gone down drastically over the past 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. So it's not that. Right. right. And it's not and it's not class. A college educated, high earning black woman who has prenatal care is more likely to die as a relate die three to four pregnancy related. Absolutely. Yes. Three to four times more likely to die related to pregnancy um, related issues, which means it doesn't have to be during the pregnancy. That can be within a year of the birth. Right. So Eric Eric Garner's daughter, for example, the heart condition that took her out of this world. You know, it's something that would be attributed to her pregnancy. Absolutely. Right? We don't talk about that often enough. More likely, we're three or four times more likely, not just in white women, but then white women that are only high school educated and did not have prenatal care. For, we have to do a whole yeah, segment. I think we it need would, a yeah, whole segment because we're not doing this justice. This too. Yeah, because there's because so much to talk about. Because I know you're limited on about. time and yeah. we're limited on time. Absolutely. And there's and so many other things that we haven't touched on, like this whole right-wing narrative that's perpetuating that, you know— having access to abortions means that the black race is trying to be eradicated slowly. Like that's one thing that I've heard recently, or even just the other, the other side of it, if they make it illegal to have an abortion and it's now a felony that takes away your right to vote. Well, you I mean, know, there's absolutely. so many different ways that this this whole conversation can go. Um, but we appreciate you so much for taking yes. the time to even just touch on this. I think what you're using your platform for is amazing because, like we said this past weekend, we need more forums and more arenas to be able to have these open discussions. And ultimately, it comes down to to research and knowing your rights. And and realistically, ladies, I appreciate both of you because as as a man, a black man who talks a lot who loves to talk, (laughs) it was good to listen to you guys speak about this and actually learn 
while I sat here. I'm never really speechless, but I sat here learning so much. My wife's been doing research about this for the past couple of months and, and listening to you talk about it. I appreciate both of you guys. We have to have you on this show to do a full show about this. We appreciate you. Thank you, Thank Jamila. you. I love that. No, and just really quickly, great. I want to say thank you all for using your platform for this because I know how easy it, you know, y'all are couple goals and family goals and Ray and they inspire us all. But I think this uglier side, you know, this more complicated side of parenting and, and Absolutely. dating and dating. Absolutely. It definitely yeah. is, so and the you. road to that. So well, thank you so much, you. Jamila. Have a great rest of the day, and you we thank too. you for thank your time. You. Awesome. Yeah, Thank you. So we're going to talk to Kenneth Montgomery. Yes. He is a lawyer born and raised here in Brooklyn. It's my guy. Yes. We That's love Kenny. Guy. Have That's a great guy. history with him and his family. And over the past 14 years, he has successfully litigated and defended clients charged with everything from murder to drug possession, weapons possession, rape, grand larceny, conspiracy, identity theft, sex abuse, and so much more. And it's important to point out that... Uh, First, Kenny started out in the pro- in prosecution. Okay. He was in prosecution. He learned a lot by, uh, while being a part of prosecution, but then while being a part of prosecution, noticed how many black and brown men and women were walking through the doors. Mm. Kenny is just dope. His family is dope. Mm-hmm. Um, his team that he works with is dope. Um, their team is my entertainment lawyers. I keep it at home because that's my people. Absolutely. You know, I, I trust them. I respect them. And uh, I can't wait to talk to Kenny about this. No, man. this would be dope. And, this of course, Kenny will tell you a lot more about himself when he's in. And, um, yeah, it, it, you know, it's going to be a heavy loaded topic today, but I think it's very necessary. Definitely like very necessary. Like you said um, earlier, Deval, it's a part of millennial parenting because, you know, again, we don't profess to be experts on everything, right. but we do like to at least open the dialogue. And that's the purpose of this podcast. Absolutely. I think ultimately, regardless of what the topic is, if, if it's something lightweight, if it's something heavy, if it's something that provokes some sort of thought and can help help you to engage in conversations yes. with your group chats or your friends or your family. Um, we're just hoping that whatever you take away from here, that it will then open up the dialogue, which I think is so missing within Absolutely. our community today. All right. So without further ado, let's jump into this conversation. We have Kenneth Montgomery with us in the building. In the my flesh. boy. That's, I'm, straight my out boy. of court. I'm, I'm <laughs> literally straight out of <laughs> yes, court. Yes. Um, Queen Supreme today. Okay. Uh, Today happened to be. I got to get used to this mic. Today happened. <laughs> you said a pro over here. She's checking. Right? I was like, get today, closer to the mic. To, today happened to be Queens, and I came straight here. I'm very um, honored to be here. Thank uh, you. We we're honored to have my you. favorite my favorite uh, family. <laughs> yeah, I, and you are family. Well, exactly. <laughs> and vice versa. You and your family, your wife. I love and adore your wife, and we have our own little history. So. Yes, yes. feelings and music. Yes. I didn't even know that. Yeah, right. We yeah. found that out kind of happenstance one day when I yeah. showed up to do her makeup. I was like, "Girl," she's like, "Yeah, I was at the park with y'all." I was like, "What?" Yes, crazy. Real quick, Roe v. Wade is going to be challenged, or it is being challenged. The most powerful thing that. Trump has in his toolbox is the ability to appoint, appoint. these federal mm-hmm. judges. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, these federal judges, people don't understand in this so-called Kavanaugh civilized society, yes. even even not Supreme Court, federal district judges are lifetime appointments. Wow. <sighs> so unless they die or move on, they're there. This and their job with. is he's going to put in his group of people to break apart the civil rights bills, the Roe v. Wade's, all those conservative hot bench issues that are dog whistling topics for millions of white people in this country. 
Wow. And um, that's what's going to happen. And, and, and it, is, it is happening. And um, wow. I think it's ridiculous that in 2019 in a civilized society that m- I find it appalling that a, a man would determine what a woman should <laughs> we, do with her body. We like, said the same not, thing. It's, it's, like, yeah. it's like discussing you racism. Even, right, you right. can't even fathom. No, it's, it makes no sense. It makes any no. sense. It's scary time. It is, it is a scary time. We're literally yeah. under attack in so many different ways. Yeah. yeah. So many different ways. Yeah. Crazy. So talk a little bit about why you went from prosecution to defense. Oh, that's easy. Um, you know, my motivation for being an attorney was I had read Malcolm X's book really, really early, mm-hmm. his autobiography. And... It got to a section um, where he wanted to be an attorney, and the teacher told him that he had to be a carpenter, like black people didn't become attorneys. And I think that was jiving with growing up in New York at the time that I was growing up, which was in the 70s and the 80s, and and wondering why my neighborhood looked Mm -hmm. like that. Like, I had the feeling as a young kid, I didn't know why, that something had happened Mm -hmm. that was really bad, and it was beyond our control. Okay. So... That resonated with me, and you know, Malcolm X wanted to be an attorney. That must be something serious. Okay, and I and that was the start. So then, when I got to law school, um, I always was good. I think I had good trial skills really early. Mm-hmm. And James Cohen, who was my professor, a great lawyer, had told me with my skill set, I should challenge myself. And although I wanted to be a defense attorney, I should go to a rigid environment where I had to ah, train I myself. I see. And he was the person that first suggested I go to the district attorney's office. Okay. Um, and I, I went to Brooklyn. It was Brooklyn or Manhattan. I went to Brooklyn because Brooklyn had more crime, you know. <laughs> okay. And, and I'm from and Brooklyn. From Brooklyn. Uh-huh. So, Shout out VK. And, <laughs> Stand up, and it was, you know, it was, it's such a <laughs> diversified borough, you know, two right. million people, mm-hmm. all kinds of things right. going on. So I was like, let me go to the district attorney's office really to be the spook by the door. And get the uh, information, and then when it was my time to leave, leave. Can, can you explain the spook by the door? Because I, yes. I use that terminology oftentimes <laughs> when um, people ask me about code this, switching. There's so. a great book and film by Sam Greenlee called "The Spook Who Sat by the Door." You can actually see the film in its entirety. I think if you if you Google it, mm-hmm. and it basically is a story of how this one agent, black agent, Mm. became an agent for the government, but his real, it was to overthrow the government. Mm. Uh, And it's a little, the book is even deeper than that, but it's a great film. And I I went there and I knew that I wasn't better than anyone, but no one was better than me. But I also knew that I brung a skill set that most of my colleagues didn't. Um, I grew up in Brownsville. I grew up in Crown Heights. I know what it's like to be in those situations. Right. I know what it's like to assess a case in a manner that my colleagues didn't. To a lot of my colleagues, even some of the some of them of color, it was almost like they were going to the zoo. Okay. Mm. You know, it's these gang, these bad black guys, Hispanic guys, and well, you well, could see it. You said earlier that you looked at your neighborhood and you could tell that something had happened that made your neighborhood like that. Yeah. What, what did you mean by that? Because, you know, growing up, you know, at the time I grew up, it was these vacant lots, buildings. I'm like, how did this happen? It was almost like a bomb had went off in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I go to school in the morning. Um, the, the people addicted to heroin are slouching at 8 in the morning. I come out for lunch. They're still there. They're just a little bit lower. I come out after school. They're there. They the head things. is almost touching the, the ground. Right. And I'm like, yo, grow, this is, doesn't make sense because my teachers are coming to school from Long Island. Mm-hmm. Beautiful teachers I had, actually. Mm-hmm. They weren't trying to save the natives. They were... 
uh, these these young Jewish women at the time who I think they understood what happened as well. Right. But I know when I watch Different Strokes, Mr. Drummond Crib ain't look like that. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> true. That's true. Um, That's so true. I'm like, mm-hmm. what happened? And Mr. then, you know, so, you know, my life's journey helped inform me of what happened. But I went to the DA's office so that I can be the best trial attorney on the defense side and the civil rights side I can be. That's, That's dope. dope. That's dope. That, no, that definitely. And it was challenging, though. I remember me and Mike Choi, one of my good friends, uh, had had to approach the bench. And this old school judge, he literally doesn't look up. He just says, no, defendants aren't allowed at the bench. Wow. And Choi, was he just turned beat Red. Yeah. He didn't apologize. He didn't anything. No, he kept it not. moving. Yeah. And so isn't that similar? I told a microaggression story mm-hmm. similar mm-hmm. about a white woman saying to me when I was with my son, oh, it must be your day because I was in the park with my with, with Jackson. Mm-hmm. Oh, it must be your day to be with your son as if I'm as, not as there As if all you're the time. not there all the time. Yeah. And I had to explain to her, no, I'm married. I have kids. And, and she didn't apologize. She was just like, oh. Yeah. Like, like, like that was the okay. anomaly. No, and it's funny yeah. because he wasn't in here to hear that story. Right. But so it's they're funny. almost exactly the Literally. same. Yo, and, and, and for me, it was challenging because I had to. And I ultimately left because I had got what I wanted or I needed information. at the time. The information. The information. Right. Right, 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 right. And, um, you know, it, it was a good experience. I understood what happens politically. I understand why this system is the way it is. And it also helped me to develop a skill set that to this day um, I can do something for my clients and I can give information to my community. You see, that's, that's, that's the key. And that's something I always talk about with my kids, right? If you're playing chess, if you're playing football, anything, the first thing you have to do is understand your opponent. Mm-hmm. If you're the oppressed, you can't defend yourself if you do not know your oppressor. No. You have to understand the mindset of the oppressor in order to release yourself from oppression. Absolutely. So many of us don't even think that way. No, and it's Mm -hmm. it's difficult for us because I think for us, many of us, and this this crosses, um, you know, first of all, the dominant thing about European history and Western culture history and particularly it's centered on white supremacy. And a lot of people get upset about that, but that's what it's centered on, right? right? That's what it is. And... To continue that system, there has to be a deprogramming of indigenous people, African people. Right. So, for instance, in America, you know, you are likely to you lose if you're supposed to be successful. You're likely to lose your connection to your African heritage. So if you don't know your African heritage, you don't see the value in learning anyone's heritage. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think Absolutely. our children feel that. You know, I tell the story so all the true. time. So I went to true. Andrews Huddy Junior High School. Oh, you went to Huddy? I went to Huddy. Yeah. All of my teachers were Jewish. Wow. And there was a, a point during African American History Month where we were still doing Anne Frank. My mom, now, now my family is from the country, South mm-hmm. Carolina. They grew up fighting. They marched. My mom was the first class in Madison to be oh, wow. integrated in the 70s. So my mom I heard about big. the busing that was going she on. Was bus, yeah, she was, she the was bus bussing yeah. from the projects mm-hmm. all the way to Madison, and they had to run out of school. They couldn't get on the bus. They had to run out every single day. She was in high school for the first two years. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to educating, she was like, you need to know about black history. So it's now, it's like the middle of February, and I'm like, yo, I understand, you know, the Holocaust is important, but it's Black History Month. Mm-hmm. Lady blacked on me. Wow. How dare you? The Holocaust was the biggest atrocity that ever happened. Kicked me out of class and called my mom. So I was like, yo, if you want to call my mom on this situation, 
Go ahead. <laughs> my mother came there and let everybody in that school have it. Yeah. And the sad part is though, we did we did Black History for the next two weeks. We did Martin Luther King. <laughs> we did Jesse Owens. We did Jackie Robinson. Max. We did Jackie Robinson. George Washington Carver. He definitely did Peanut and Peanuts. And that's yeah. it. And in the middle, it was March 1st. Yep. That was it. It was back to the back Holocaust. To the Holocaust. No. And what I'm saying is, is that if I didn't have my parents to teach me about those things, who was going to teach me yeah. about black history? Yeah. And it's funny because my parents, like your parents, migrated from the South. Mm. Um, but they were of my dad migrated from deep South Alabama. Oh, whoa. Like, literally, he had family members killed by the police, hung mm. on crosses, um, like, very, like, yeah, uh, deep, I keep, deep, deep, deep. A deep And it had broken him, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. His life was basically, he was broken. Wow. But my mother's like, yo, right. she said, be smart, and I bet you they can't do anything sound, with sound you. sound like my mother. A lot of people don't understand that. When yeah. you say that, yeah, they like realistically, both. one black person cannot change anything. You can go up there and fight all mm -hmm. you want. You're not going to change anything. No, you have to be smart. We don't have an ideology, and that it's very frustrating to me. You know, I represent people on death row and charged with federal capital murder, um, and and also, you know, I've represented people in the entertainment stuff and business. Mm. Yo, black people have been exceptional since we got here. Absolutely. Hey, Ken, can you give us some examples of cases that you worked on where there were clear cases of social injustice? Where you've seen blatant discrimination with black and brown men um, that you've dealt with. Absolutely. Um, there was a recent case that everyone seems to be interested in of the Bronx 120. It was mm -hmm. 120 individuals taken out of Eastchester Gardens projects in the Bronx and charged federally with crimes. I represented one of the individuals in that case. Uh, I heard who, about it. Who got time served. That case was a clear overreaching of the federal government to label uh, people as gang members to to just remove them from the community. The majority of those cases were wow. nonviolent, no guns. It mm. was just marijuana sales. It was sales. a way to get them out. Get them out. Marijuana. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't understand how the policing now is targeted to certain neighborhoods. That's how they do policing now. So that was one case. There was another case of some years back of uh, a bunch of young men in Brownsville were were arrested for a rape, an alleged rape that was that really case. going in the direction of the Scottsboro boys. And it turns out that this was under Ken, Ken Thompson's administration. Uh, it turned out that it was abs absolutely false. And fortunately, all those young men were released. But they were all put on television. They were put first. on television, their face. Their face, uh -huh. pictures, addresses. Definition. I remember. It was a lot of it because people were comparing it to the Central Park Five. Right. And, and in the old case called the Scottsboro Boys, that was a case one of my clients was involved in. Um, How do you keep the energy to, because that's draining. I know, it's, yeah, it's I know sometimes lot. I call you and you, you just sound out of it and you be like, yo, D, I just got my mind on a case right now. How do you find the energy to continue to fight um, you know what, because right. I, I think if this system is the system that they they say it's supposed to be, then the presumption of innocence should should count for everyone. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, the presumption of innocence doesn't count for everyone, particularly in federal court. So my job, the most revolutionary act that I can do is mm -hmm. to stand up for those people who that presumption is not supposed to work for. Them. So my thing is, when you're in, in your current role as a defense attorney, the mm -hmm. system is so set up, like you said, for mm -hmm. us to fail. Mm -hmm. How do you tell, how do you educate young people to exist realistically yeah. in the day-to-day -day where the system is set up for us to fail and get caught up in the system? That's a, that's a great question. How it's, do we defend against that? And, and something I want, I want to be clear on. I'm not, you know, because people say, oh, he's just a defense attorney talking. 
I'll, I'll speak to those who are about math and mathematicians. Mm-hmm. Um, if you put a quarter in a video game and you won that in the computer won 97% of the time, mm-hmm. you would be like, wow, no matter how good I get, I'm going to lose. Right. Think about this system that we've created, this legal system. We, we didn't create it. This legal system in America that's, that exists. Going to trial on a federal level, 97% of the defendants lose. <laughs> right. That, That's crazy. That has nothing to do with how good the prosecutor is, right. how good the defense attorney the is, mm-hmm. the judge. That's systematic. That's system. yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I have to do is um, I realize that no matter how good I am, I'm just putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. The things that I have to do have to some have to exist outside of that courtroom. Once because once because once it point, gets to that courtroom, right? And you know some of the cases that I yeah, had, and it, yeah. and once it gets there, you know I may get you out this time, but the the stigma that's attached, right? The what it does to your life what it does afterwards, after especially because social media, uh, Google, mm-hmm. forget about it. They Google so, your name. It's so right. my goal yeah. is to put myself out of business, and to put all these prosecutors out of business. And the way that it has to be done is we have to start going in our communities. So it's not going to happen in court. I agree no. with you. It's uh, not. It no. has to happen way before the, you court. Know, the legal system, these right. lifetime appointment federal judges right. and these political hack judges on a state level, they make sure that system stays in place. Absolutely. So as a parent, mm-hmm. like you know, we have a lot of parents who are like, hey, can you help me parent through this? How do we help those parents who has a young a young man, a young woman at home and say, OK, if you want to avoid these pitfalls, this is what you do. When leaving the house, this is what you do. When approached hmm. by a police officer, an authoritative figure, how because because I got it's a two part yeah, question. The exactly. first part is that part. Mm-hmm. You know, what do we tell parents on how to how to educate their kids if they if they're in public school? So some some parents can't homeschool. It's tough. They work. Yeah, it's tough. Mm-hmm. How do we educate our kids? Yo, you know, the parents. You know, it's unfair a lot of times because I think back to my childhood. My mom was working her butt off, Mm -hmm. dealing with my pops and his brokenness. Mm -hmm. She didn't have a lot of time for my nonsense, as bright as she was. So unfortunately, sometimes, you know, these kids are brought into a situation in a world that they didn't actually ask for. Right. So how do you do that? I think there has to be an awareness in the community where we have to stop being afraid to talk to one another and knock on a neighbor's door. Uh, or you see a kid see doing that? something off and you keep your mouth shut. No, it that's seemed like it so was true. that way it at one point. Be, it I know I couldn't walk out in the streets back in the day without somebody, somebody snatching my something. ass yep. up and being like, Absolutely. Uh, how, do, how dare you? Yo, I got into so many <laughs> fights growing up because yeah. my mother was one of, my mother was Miss Barbara in the neighborhood. <laughs> right, right. And, Yo, my mom was a trouble. Like, she just, any kid yeah. doing something, she has something to say. <laughs> so when I come outside, the kids is like, yo, your mom, yo, why don't you tell your mother to mind her business? Yeah. Right. So I'm fighting. So you were getting heat. I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm, I get in a fight protecting her honor. Right, right, uh-huh. right. But then I get a beating for fighting yes. in the street. So you get in trouble both ways. Yeah, I was, it was, it was a mess, but. But we don't I, have that we anymore. We don't have that. The, the no. village, we don't have the We don't tribe. have a village. Everyone's minding no. their business. Nope. Well, you, you know, know, kids don't want to be disciplined listen, you anymore. Can, you can't go to. Upper East Side and start pulling young white males out of their car or stopping them on their skateboard and searching right, them for Adderall and Coke or heroin right. and all well, those they, drugs they, they, that they, they that do. Right. Oh, how you dare can't you? do that because right. you know what will happen? You do that. You you make that a pattern. Then that local congressman, that local police department, that community meeting, they're going to have problems. Right. Right. 
our community, we don't have that synergy. Mm-hmm. And right. somehow there has to that synergy has to be created. Now, see, that that to me is because there's no one being held accountable. That to me is part of the issue. You mm-hmm. know, you never want to blame the oppressed for being oppressed. Mm-mm. But I feel like at some point we lost our way. Yeah. You look at we the have. civil rights movement and we marched together. We joined yes. the spectacle. Right. And, yes. and the funny thing is my grandmother used to say all the time, the worst thing that ever happened to niggas is they gave y'all shit. Yeah. It's, and it, yo, listen, and that, yeah. think about how deep that is. Yo, shit. That grew up is in the because, South. Because integration was a, was a, you know, people always talk, oh, Brown v. Board of Education. You know, Brown v. Board of Education was a very bad decision, in my opinion, for black people. I agree, because now because they control who educates they, us. Because I here's, got you a, on that. here's what's really deadly about it that a lot of people don't get to talk about. White people had to accept, oh, you're going to, all right, my kid is going to have to sit next to your kid. All right, we're just going to harass him. We're going right. to throw stuff on him, blah, blah, blah. Right. What they weren't willing to do, they weren't willing to have their children taught by black teachers. Absolutely. So pre-Brown v. Board of Education, it was probably about eighty to 100,000 black teachers. Right. Once that decision came down, those black teachers were cut in they half. Lost jobs, they right. lost they their lost jobs. jobs. Right. So, and that was, imagine, imagine, three to four generations of teaching our own children. Yeah, Imagine absolutely. three to four generations of what a Malcolm and and self-determination and the Panthers were talking about. Absolutely. So that had to be, you know, America had to get rid of anything that even appeared to be black and nationalistic. And, right. I, and we're seeing what we live every day is the result of having lost a war. Because you think about now when things do go wrong, in the social media era, mm-hmm. everything is just like a hashtag. Everyone's so upset. Right. Yep. You're so upset you talk at about that, that moment. All the time. <laughs> and then what happens after that? Next. The other day, I was a good friend of mine uh, just got an acquittal. And we always laugh because if you notice something, you don't never hear me talking about an acquittal I got. No. It's, that's easy. No. Right. right. I'll talk about the losses. I'll right. talk about those other challenging things because there's nothing to be learned. Like, I'm not here to self-promote. I, I really just want to be a vessel for change and, and, and mm. put it in my work to change this narrative, to be honest with you. That's so, well, I mean, I know we were short on time, but I really mm. want you to talk a little bit about what you're doing to help change the narrative. Talk about um, Brooklyn Combine. All right, we, got, we have Brooklyn Combine, which is a group of us who came together um, to... We recognize the social, political, economic, and academic alienation in our mm-hmm. communities because we all came from different ones. And we are designers, lawyers, creatives who've mm-hmm. come together to mentor and provide curriculum in, into underprivileged neighborhoods like Brownsville, where we're from. You know, and also we have programs. We send children to, in our Brooklyn to Alaska program. We send mm-hmm. young men from Brooklyn to Alaska just for to two and a half weeks to learn the land. Um, right. uh, you know, just we're doing as much as we can to um, create critical thinkers, the next generation of critical thinkers. You know, wow. I applaud you. There's one thing that I've I've learned following you mm-hmm. for the past, I think it's been eight, nine years. You don't play the blame game. Nah. You never sit back and say, oh, it's white people's fault. Nah. It's, he's like, I, what can we do nah. to change Listen, our Listen, I'll call out history. I'm in these federal courts every you day. Do. I sit on these judiciary screening committees where I interview the judges. I sit on these death penalty groups. I see what's going on. Right. They see what's going on. Mm. Right. The best thing we could do for ourselves is to educate ourselves 
and to stick together and to innovate and create something else. You know, Ken, man. Yo, uh, thank you. This is the first this of many. This hasn't been yes. enough time. No, no, no it, it hasn't been enough time. Been. It this hasn't is the been. first of many, bro. We are literally chipping away at so many different topics that we want to cover on the podcast, but with the current climate in our society, local, you know, national, we just felt it necessary to come in and just touch on it and introduce everyone to you to know that we do have people who are on the yes. front lines and the back yes. lines who that are means in a lot to me, guys. Yes. Please, Every day. Oh, please give everyone your handles so oh, they know um, where to find you. Yes. Oh, you can find me in, in all five boroughs in federal state court all the time. <laughs> but nah, but my um my Instagram are KJMPLLC. Yes. And my Twitter, I think, is ESQ Montgomery. All right. Okay. And if not, Google them. Yeah, yeah. All right, Google them. Kenneth em. Montgomery, that's my guy. <laughs> yeah, thank you, guys. This means a lot to me. So what we're hoping is that after this conversation today or these conversations that we've had with Jamila and Kenneth, that it now opens dialogue and conversations between you and your friends. So whether it's in your group chat, with your family, over dinner, we can now create a forum for you all to now talk about these things that are happening within our communities or within your lives. Talk about experiences that you may have had, different microaggressions, and how it's made you feel. I think the biggest takeaway here is to make sure that we are talking about it. And also arming yourself with the education needed to defend yourself. You know, we're all trying to exist in America while black. So make sure you have the education needed to arm yourself so you can live a great normal life. Before we get into listener letters, we're going to get into some ads. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This for the record. There it is. A win for the ages. Tiger Woods is one of our most awe-inspiring sports icons. And his story, it comes with many chapters. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. But here it is. The return to glory. This is All American, a new series from Stitcher, hosted by me, Jordan Bell. You realize Tiger Woods doesn't know who he is. Best in the history of golf. No question in my mind. And this season, with the help of journalist Albert Chen, we're asking. What if the story of Tiger Woods that the media has been telling, what if it's been completely wrong? All-American Tiger is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. We're going to switch gears and get into these listener letters. So listener yes. letters today are not necessarily about what we've spoken about, but now we, we definitely want to make sure we lighten it up. We, lighten it up. Lighten it up a little bit. we hear from you all Have some so fun. far getting some good feedback. So this first one that jumped out at me for today, I'll read a little bit for you. It says... I was told that I should get married before I have kids, but things turned out the other way. My husband and I had a baby before we got married. Our daughter just turned a year this month. We got married on September 4th. Sorry, we got married on February 4th, 2019. And it's been a challenge because my mother-in-law lives with us. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) What up, Mimi? Oh, my goodness. My mother-in-law and I have not known each other that long. So we just need to figure out a way to communicate Damn. better Damn. and not step on each other's toes. <laughs> Impossible. Oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to he- I don't want me and her to keep having these issues because it can put a strain on my husband and I's relationship. Just need some advice, please. Yo, this is dead ass facts I'm about to give you right Sis. now. All right. Ooh. 
So both of our moms are very involved in our lives, right? My mom is involved. Her mom is involved. But we've noticed a, a difference in the involvement. Like my mom is nowhere near as involved at my house. Nope. As her mom is. Nope. And one of the reasons why my mom said to me she didn't want to be involved is because she didn't want to be known as the meddling mother-in-law. <laughs> and I understand it. I understand it. You you don't want to be overbearing. When you're right. a mother-in-law and you're in your daughter-in-law's house, you don't really have that relationship. Right. Whereas Mimi, Kay's mom, that's right. her daughter. That's that's right. her mom. Like right. they have that relationship. So it's a little bit different. I'm gonna I'm gonna be 100 percent honest. And say, I don't see how that's going to work. Yeah, I don't don't. know what your current situation is and the reason why your mother-in-law is living with you. I would like to know that. Um, Why is it? Is it because she's helping with the baby? Or is it because financially it makes sense for you guys right now? Like, what are the reasons why she's living with you all? And I mean... Honestly, my mother has always said to me, and she's even said this to me as her daughter in the house, as I was getting older and trying to like (laughs) assert my, you know, independence. And I would, you know, say something a little sly or maybe Mm -hmm. in the tad bit she would take as disrespect. She would then look at me and be like, two women can't live in the same house. Mm. Mm. So... Mm. That being said, mm. sis. Because you and your mother get into it at our house. I mean, we do. Because sometimes, too, she'll come in, you know, ever so passive aggressively and, you know, talk about the state of yo, my house and the condition of it. You is know, the queen and I'm like, of passive aggressiveness. Ma, I'm like, yo, Ma, like, I got three boys and a husband. Like, I'm the only Son. woman in the household. Like, you should Son. understand my plight and give me a break and just come here and not say anything and your just help a sister out. Your mother don't care. And, you know, she'll always say, it comes from a good place, Kadeen. But sometimes, you know, want to hear that so imagine not wanting to hear that from your mom taking it a step further to trying to hear stuff from your mother-in-law yeah that's tough so that's going to be tough but i do think it's up to your husband don't put that on to, him no don't don't put it, that no on him. it has to be a thing where you know you have to also have the communication with your <sighs> husband and if you feel uncomfortable with the way things are moving in your household you should not have to tiptoe around and you should be able to speak with him and that way he can then, in turn, maybe speak to his mother, you know, and then you I make all know. three have to come together and no, speak no, about it. No. You don't no. think that's that's necessary? I, I have to know. First of all, I have to know why she's living there. Okay. For example. So we can't fully like. And the reason why I say that is because we don't, we don't know if it's a must thing, if it's a health issue for her. Right, right. If they need the help. We don't understand. It's hard to give her advice. Yeah. We probably need a little we bit don't more know. context. I need a little bit more context. But right. I will say this, though, right? Being a man in the house and... The women, in my in my mindset, it's a woman's house. Y'all handle, you know, when she, K creates the feng shui. She makes, <laughs> like, there's certain things I don't want to argue and debate about. I just want to exist. I want to get my sandwiches when I need my sandwiches. I might want to drink here or there. Other than that, I let K do her thing and she can rock, right? Anytime you have a man in the middle trying to control two women in one house, it's never going to work. Well, first of all, men don't, are not going to control any women anyhow. Okay. Well, first of all, you the one so, that said you she he needs to interject. Well, it's not interjecting. But that's, do interjecting what? is not a matter of control. You can be trying the to one. control the situation. Yes. No. See? No. See, it's is, not control. Now, you it's get a, a matter perfect of, example as to why I said he can't get can involved. I can I speak? Go ahead, baby. Can I speak? You got it. It's not a matter of controlling the situation. It. It's about him now being able to somewhat mediate or engage his mother and his wife 
whether it be separately or together. So you didn't like the word I used. He's the link. Yeah, because control so sounds did, a little so too hard. Like He's not going to come in and control and tell them what to so do. I didn't say all of that. You, added, you put in 100 on 10. I didn't say tell them what to do. I said control the situation. If the situation is getting so out of control, control. Okay, so mediate the situation then. Whatever word you want to use. See, I'm not going to argue about semantics of words. It's this not is, the semantics. This is why he can't get involved. They're two adults. They're two adults. They need to. It's their house. I order, I the first thing. This is the funny thing. The first thing I said mm-hmm. was that it was the women's house. Okay. I agree. But you want to argue with me about the word control when I automatically said it's your house. I understand that, Javal, but you, it's the way you formulated the thing. It's like it's not going to, you're not going to control so, the two women. It's just a matter I didn't of say mediating. He was gonna, I didn't say he was going to control the women. I said control the situation. First and foremost, how is he going to win? He can't tell his mom what it's to do. It's not a matter of winning, And he can't winning, tell his though. wife what to do. It's not a matter of winning, though. But when we talk about transparency and communication that people should have within a relationship, whether it's a marriage or it's a parent-child relationship, okay. I think it is up to him him to be the one to create the dialogue because she said they have not known each other that long I, he knows his mother longer than he's known anybody i understand that so but he that maybe transpa- knows ways to communicate with his mom that can be effective but that transparency has to come from the two women he can't always be in the middle saying listen listen they're two grown adult women i agree they with that. have to be able to be adult enough i agree with to get that. involved because i'm telling you right now he cannot and i'm telling you as a as a man like you, you always say to me, don't mansplain, right? Don't womansplain. I cannot tell my wife how to feel about my mom, and I cannot tell my mom how to feel about my wife. I agree with that, though. Y'all, y'all would have to get, I, I would I have understand. to step back. I would have to step back and say, listen, I love y'all both. Y'all going to have to learn. Y'all going to have to deal with this. If this is the situation. And that's part of the thing that bothers me is because we don't even know why she's living here. You see my eyes closed? Because I see your I, eyes I agree, closed. I agree with what you're saying. I'm just saying since she's concerned about the strain on her marriage with her husband and she has not known her mother-in-law that long. I think the husband should be the one, if he knows that it's a concern for his wife, right. to say, hey, all maybe right. we should sit down and have this conversation. So let me let me That's tell you all. how this goes, because you're not a husband. You're a wife. Okay. Husband goes to mom and says, my wife feels. Mm-hmm. The first thing the mom was probably going to do is get defensive. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. As a son to a, a, a mom, if I go, listen, mom. My my wife feels like then it's automatically. It doesn't even have to be posed that way. It could just be like, hey, we the three of us have to coexist within this space. How about we sit down, get to know each other a little bit better, and we can so then open up conversation just to make it comfortable for them. So let me ask a question. It's not about running to mom and being like, my wife said X, Y, Z, or running to well, the wife and saying, said, my mom said X, Y, Z. You said that he should. Listen, this is all I'm saying. I feel like if my wife. And I, I, we chose to be together. I would feel like, you know what? My wife can approach my mom in a way that's respectful. And if they're going to build a relationship, I'm going to allow them to build a relationship. I don't feel like I would need to mediate because I trust this woman who is my wife. I know my mom. I'm letting them as two grown adult women. I just know that from being a husband and speaking to other husbands that have issues with mother-in-laws and wives— when he, whenever the fathers get involved or the, the, the husbands get involved, it always gets worse. Okay. It always gets worse. I guess you're speaking from some experience that I don't know. I was just saying. I mean, you know some of the situations about mother-in-laws and wives and, and how 
it's always like whenever he get involved, it's he's taking her side and he's taking their side. Yeah, and I don't think it has to be a side being taken thing either. I think people, you should be able to just have a conversation and say, this is what it is, this is how I feel, and how do we plan to move forward and coexist in this space? But again, we don't know why they're together in the space that they're in. We don't yeah. know why, you know, the mom That's is living there. Question. So it's tough. It's tough. But That's a tough being right a woman and, and knowing what it's like to have a mother-in-law, you know, there's a way that the mother-in-law, yes, like your mom is very detached from us because yes. she doesn't, she's fearful. She doesn't want to meddle. She meddle yeah. And she's been the opposite of that. And then you live with my mom, who is now in the house, you know, doing her thing when she comes over. But it's different for a daughter with her mother in the house versus yeah, absolutely. the son. Yeah, so. And you would normally address your mom with situations because I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to address you. I'm not going to address your mom, you right. know? Like, that's, that's normally what y'all do. Right. You know? But we do have conversations. You have an open line of communication with my mom. And if I feel like you feel a way about something, I feel comfortable enough to talk to my mom about it as well, too. So I think that comes with time, though. Think about how long we've been together. Yeah, we've been together 17 been together years. That long. Like she said, you know, they, they literally don't that's know. Tough. Yeah. That's yeah. Tough. Sorry, sis. Sorry we had more information. Maybe if we got more information, we could know how yeah. to, to, to better <laughs> give you our take on it. Um, all right, babe. Go to the next one. I've been married for almost a year and I love my husband. I'm sure who I married and I'm confident we will make it through anything. The issue is sex. Although I find my husband attractive, he is not someone who likes working out and he is about two inches shorter than me. He's also not into being super romantic or any of that stuff. How do I navigate the sexual space when there are a few things that act as blockades? Hmm. Do I force myself to have sex? Do I keep telling him to be healthy and romantic? Do I just let it go and we have sex every now and then? Help. What oh, you well, do? you can speak on that, babe, because you feel like you never get it enough from me. So go ahead and tell sis what to do. All right. <laughs> so um, this is... um. I mean, hey, the facts are the facts. This is, yeah, the facts are the facts. Because I so, know I know how it feels to want to have to force yourself to be in the mood to have sex. Right. And that shit is whack, so... Yeah, and the shit is whack to have someone have to be forced to have sex with you. And the shit is whack. Right, so it's but, whack on every level. Yes. Whack on every street. The funny thing is that she said that's very different is that she says she's not attractive, attracted to her husband. He doesn't like to work out. Well, she out. said, although I find my husband attractive, he's not someone who likes working out. So I think she, she that was oxymoron right, right there. Right. Although so I'm attracted to my husband. You said that, say, sis, because you, you felt like you had to say it. But clearly, right. if you're saying that he doesn't work out, right. then you're not attracted to him in this moment. So it's a little and he's bit, two inches shorter than you. So when you can wear heels, like how does that work? Do right. you wear heels or do you wear flats? See, but I, that's why I think their situation is a little bit we different than ours. But... With the sex situation, I'm very open about Kadeem with what I need and what I want. So I would tell you, if that's your husband, he's supposed to be responsible for handling all of your sexual needs as your husband. So you're going to have to say to him, bro, we in this together for life. <laughs> life. So yeah. if you want to be in this together for life, I'm going to need you to pick up the slack on these things. I'm going right. to need you to work on this. You know, I'm, And that's just me. I, I, I'm all about candor. Mm -hmm. I'm all about honesty and upfront. Yeah, we are very so upfront. So tell him, like, listen, you're short, you short dude. So <laughs> get some lifts. All right. Wear Tim's more often. Okay, Wear that Tim's gives you about often. a good what, inch and a half, right. two inches. Yeah, yeah. If you but get a double sole. But Tim. she says she two inches on him. So he get the double sole Tim, right? right? So at least they level Put a off. lift in there. Now that's a good three inches. Now he taller than her. <laughs> And she could be. And she you could wear, wear the flip -flops. Tims in the bedroom. Exactly. And Here she wear go. flip flops. Right. You know what I'm saying? He work out a little bit. Cause listen, if you told me as my as my wife, if you told me like, babe, I really want you to work out, 
I'd be in the gym every day. That's true. Because I want to make sure my wife is... Have you maybe tried to... You said, do I keep telling him he needs to be healthy? Well, are you helping to ensure that he's healthy? Are you working out with him? That's a good point. How are meals being prepared? If y'all are in this together, let's see. Are you helping him to make those healthy choices? And, you know, doing workouts together so that way you can work out in the bed together. Like, you see where I'm getting at it? You see where I'm getting at it? Um, And then, yeah, you know, romance and spark, that's something that I think every woman wants. You know, so if he's laughing... There, right. You got to tell you him know? to be romantic. If if he wants to have sex more often, he should put the energy into being more romantic. Mm-hmm. If that's what if he wants more sex, he should try to be more romantic. Yeah. And if you still don't want to have sex after him trying to be romantic, you right. have to be honest with him that, you know, this is not really what I want to do. And then you're going to you guys gonna have to make some tough decisions. Yeah. Kadeen and I have been there. You know, I work out all the time. I'm taller than her. I try to be romantic. <laughs> And sometimes she still don't want to have sex. And I'll be like, yo, what is wrong with you, bro? Mm-hmm. And she just like, I don't, I don't know. Like, but we we do have three kids. Right. And niggas be tired. Yep. You know, and Man, there was tired. a point where she talked about how her she what she wasn't comfortable within her body. Right. Hormones so, is like a roller coaster. So there's times that's how it is. But but you, your last question said, do I just let it go and we have sex every now and again? No, don't let it go. You can't give up. If you're married, there's yo, no letting anything go. Ladies. I'm going to give not you let it go, girl. some insight right here. Listen to this insight. Your man knows when you having sex and don't really want to have sex. And the shit is whack. We know. I know for a fact when Kadeen's like, all right, let's just have sex. Even when she tries to act like she's in the mood, and she, I'm like, yo, you really wasn't in the mood, right? She'd be like, no. Nope. <laughs> She'd be like, no. <laughs> it was just Men very know. necessary Men at this know. point so you can Men get your screw face know. out of here Men and know. be happy. And, and sometimes, you're still not happy. Sometimes you're going to take that booty just like that, too. <laughs> sometimes you're just going to be like, you know take what? Take it and make the best of it. You want to have you know? an attitude? You want to have an attitude? Do. Fine. Fine. But you better come out tomorrow. Then you tomorrow. can switch it to a little role play and be like, ew. Yeah, we do you that know. sometimes. You know. You know, she act mad or whatever. But <laughs> just talk to each other. Yeah, you have to. You have Don't to. Don't let it go. Do talk it for to your each husband. Other. Do it for your let marriage. You, you know, we're suckers for love and um, people yes. being happy, though, authentically. And I think you need to have the conversations And know those conversations ain't easy. No. They're not easy in our They're house. They're not. So it's not going to be easy. I don't want you to think that we sit there and laugh about these conversations. No, we don't. no these conversations be real in our house. Oh, yeah. And they often last about three, four days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've gotten better. We've been able to like cap discussions and yeah, move yeah, forward. Yeah, yeah. We're working on it. Every yeah. day is a work in progress for us all. Yeah, so yeah. good luck, baby. If you want to reach us and ask us for some advice so you can Ooh, end up on our listener like letters, make sure that you email us at deadassadvice at gmail.com. That's D-E-A-D-A-S-S-A-D-V-I-C-E at gmail.com. Even if you want to just drop on something smooth and just let us know, hey, we love you guys. We appreciate those emails as well. All right, so that wraps up our listener letters for this week. Those are two nice little juicy topics to talk about. Um, So, DeVal, tell me, this was a very loaded, heavy episode. Yes. Um, What was your moment of truth or your takeaway from this? My moment of truth is is very simple. Mm -hmm. Is that it's difficult to be black in America. People have to stop acting like it's not. People have to stop acting as if it's gone. You know, like we hear all of these excuses about, oh, get over it already, get over this. No, people still go through a lot on a day-to-day being black in America. And it's okay to admit that sometimes you don't feel comfortable being black here. Mm-hmm. That's my moment of truth. Mm-hmm. Also, I want people to know that you don't have to live in that truth and just feel sad. Educate yourself on how to get through that and find a way to help it so that you can pay it forward. Because our children shouldn't have to exist the same way we exist today. And the only way we can change that 
It's through educating ourselves and giving them the education they need to be better. That's so dope. That kind of ties into, that's dope. That ties into, uh, I guess, my, my moment of truth or my takeaway from this. Um, I think in talking to both of our guests today, um, one thing that I love is that they both are using their platforms to yes. be able to speak to the masses, to be able to educate people, to speak about their real life experiences right. and how they are now using their platforms and their, their arenas to reach people. You know, Kenneth, who is with, um, you know, his program that's reaching out to kids, Brooklyn Combine. the Brooklyn Combine, who are showing um, black and brown men different parts of life that's yes. outside of their community. Black and brown um, men and women, because men and he's women. working with young girls as well. Oh, like, great. Oh, yeah, yes. I missed that part. So that's amazing. Um, just showing them life outside of their, the, con- the confines of their immediate yes. community is so important. Um, and, you know, just making sure that we're we're researching and educating ourselves, even just about the women's rights segment that we spoke about and how us as women need to take um, as much control as we can over our bodies and over our maternal uh, rights for health care and, and, and things of that nature. So um, thank you so much again to our two guests who really gave us a lot of insight about both topics. And um, I think as a community, we can work together and I th- we should be doing more of that to at least on a local level start to change things Um you know, more immediately. Yeah, because everything starts locally. Yeah. Three episodes in, so we're just going to want to find ways to make this better and better for you guys because you're with us for the long haul. Yes, All right? And be sure to follow us on social media. Kadeen, I am, that's K-H-A-D-E-E-N, I-A-M. And that's I am Deval, I-A-M-D-E-V-A-L-E. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and subscribe. And spread the word. Deadass. Deadass is a production of Stitcher. It's produced by T-Square, Stephanie Kariuki, and Denora Pena. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon, and we'd like to give a special thanks to our recording engineer, Jared O'Connell, our sound designer, Brendan Burns, and studio manager, Ashley Warren. We're back. I'm Drew McGarry. And I'm David Roth. We have a podcast going on right now as part of the Stitcher Network called The Distraction. That's available everywhere you get your podcast at uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple. Go listen right now to The Distraction. Right now. It's out. Do it, please. <laughs>